sure. I'll talk it out. Yeah. Let's just have a conversation. Track three. <clears throat> Better not be fucking Dave Matthews band. Okay. Those of you who don't want to be a part of this can leave now. Derek, please listen to me. But if you choose to stay, which it seems like you guys are choosing. Derek, please. You understand and agree to the following terms and conditions. Derek! One. Derek, this is the virus. You talking. hereby waive your right Derek, please. to your own personal bodily integrity. This is not you. Two. Per the state versus Neville Reed. My colleague and I will not be held criminally liable for any felony or misdemeanor that you may be a victim of, including, but not limited to, aggravated assault, aggravated battery, disorderly conduct, destruction of property, mayhem, and first-degree murder. And three, terms and conditions may change or be updated whenever the fuck I want! Consider yourselves notified. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. I got news for you, pal. You ain't leading but two things right now. Jack and shit. Jack left town. Well, hello, Mr. Fancy Pants. Describe the ruckus, sir. Does this mean we're not friends anymore? Episode 178 of the Hordes of Chaos. How are you? I'm good. I'm enjoying my taco salad right now. Yeah, as we spoke with the last podcast, we're kind of doing two at once. So you don't need to, to I know, give the ruse. I know, I, but it just... Because it's something to talk about. Oh, there's so much more to talk about. We, <laughs> we can talk about um, your new shorts that I bought you. Or we can talk no about... to hear about that mess. They're, they're cool camouflage shorts. He's digging them. It's really um, cool as cat. We can talk about the cool cat back here licking her butthole. I mean... <laughs> Yeah, no, okay, we'll just talk music. Uh, a lot of great stuff coming up today. Uh, 
very cool uh, actually all new uh, rock stuff in the rock block um, stuff I've been trying to get in mixed in as well as I could so I'm catching up on a lot of stuff got a lot of classic material got really good uh, old-school block of uh, death metal later on mm -hmm. new sulk you Second album that Nuno's put out, so we'll be talking a little about that one. So me and you, we were uh, calling it Salakway for the longest I time. I Salakway or some shit, you know. And it's Salk You. Salk You. Like, like fuck, fuck You. you. Salk you. you. Salk You, motherfucker! So I, I kind of dig that. Um, you know, we've been big supporters and big fans of Nuno's. He... Um, so incredibly talented a lot of his projects i think all of his projects are just him basically and he puts them together yeah he sometimes does like cool collaborations or has guest musicians doing things but my he's like devin 90 percent of it's mm -hmm. like him uh so yeah his new record is the second one that i have in my best of this year so both his records that he released are both in my best and of. did you see that he was uh doing some artwork that was inspired by his music so he's making artwork is it is he doing it or is it just something he found no i thought he was i'm not sure i'm Maybe, gonna look you know, it up right now yeah because um we can clarify that i thought it was just stuff that he was finding but uh no I if he, he was, draws like that that's i thought he amazing. was drawing because they are all in the same style now some of the stuff that he shared um earlier or excuse me yesterday those are like graphics but oh, okay. hold on the stuff where is it i gotta go back maybe a couple of days where um it says now i'm experimenting the limits the real okay yeah, that that's where is it oh my god i'm not helpful at all that's right we, we'll, we'll catch up on we talk about it. we got a ways to go uh, everything that we're talking about today is all music related, the three topics we got, but one of them I really wanted to get to uh, for a very long time uh, about Robin Crosby, former rat guitarist, so we'll get to that later on. We'll discuss a little bit about the Tennessee Satanic Panic. Which is hysterical, like, so much. And then we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the more drama between Hagar and Daley Roth and Van Halen and the legacy of, but uh, as I said, here it is. lots of great music. It says, um, he, he wrote here, oh, god damn it, I closed out of it. <laughs> uh, this, is, this is why I don't use a laptop, because, like, my fingers will be hitting buttons. Like, I'll type out an entire thing, hit the wrong button, and it all disappears. I know, you, you, like, okay, so it says here, my own nine project is about balance, absence, void, oblivion, yet I decided to give it some color. I gave AI some excerpts of, oh, this is an AI painting that he did. So he gave the AI program that he has some lyrics, and each painting is related to one of the EPs. And that was uh, like so last wait, he'll week. Give, he'll give a lyrics to a song, and then it will create a, a picture of it? So like here, he used an AI program and gave lyrics, and it created that painting. Wow. Right? Oh, whoops, wrong one. I actually love the 09 record, too. Zero and that was the shamanic, 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 the shammy, the shammy whammy, the shamanic trilogy, and that's the painting it came up with. Oh, and this fabulous. is uh, part three, the sh shamanic trilogy, and this is part the fourth. Oh wow! So apparently, 
See, I missed those. Uh, that's awesome, though. Like, so apparently he uses an AI. Um, I don't know if it's a, de a design um, program or whatever, but he he put in lyrics and it made these paintings. And that's fucking awesome. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, that's. I have to uh, pick his brain a little more about that because I I'd love to do that just for any. I wonder if he does that for like random bands that he likes. Like you know, like I would take like an enslaved song and throw it in there and see what it came up with. But yeah, you know, I have to ask him what the AI program is. Yeah, one day, you know, one day we need it really. Uh, and we need to see, get with him and yeah, do a in-depth uh, interview. Oh yeah, get on YouTube and and do a video with him because it's been like a long time running that we should be talking to him. We've been fans and we've been following him. I mean, for years. Yeah. He um, he did live in um Portugal, but he moved to Brazil. Um. And this is all in the time we've known him. Like right. So he's. He's got a whole new world, and he's very happy in Brazil. Like, um, shows pictures of his family at the beach. And yeah, he really likes that beach. I'm like, I kind of wish I had a beach. Well, I mean, if I not that I'd go in the water. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I know you wouldn't. All right, let's get into our first block of music. Uh, brand new stuff from Witchery, Inhuman Condition, and here's brand new Hatred, The Hate Inside. Fuck this, 
Countries where I lonely shit now face And your hands on the morrow will be gone From the deep, the age-old madness takes no apart Spare way we shall see the track of dawn Oh my god. 
All right, so we're going to talk about our first topic here, which, you know, we is it the 80s? Are we back in the 80s? Satanic panic? Are it must back? be because the Tennessee Metal Devastation Music Festival is happening this October 8th, and um, it's actually part of um, Metal Devastation PR. They're putting it on. And what's really funny is we're still months away, but, you know, you want to promote a a metal festival as early as possible, especially if it's your first year, you want to make sure you have a good turnout, blah, blah, blah. Well, the Metal Devastation Music Festival is in Lexington, Tennessee, and it's at Beach Lake. And apparently there are a lot of deeply religious people in this town, and they feel like they're going to be, that the Tennessee Metal Devastation Festival is going to open up a portal to hell, summoning Satan. Um, and it's really funny because I'm guessing these people are, are, they're just taken aback by calling it devastation. So like some people, like these are actual comments from, um, like on Facebook and stuff that people are responding to this. So what scares me the most is why are they calling it devastation? That makes me think they plan for something bad to happen. You get a petition against it and I'll sign it. And then someone else wrote, thanks for posting. It's a horrible thing for a Christian county to permit uh, to come to its doors. This is something we all need to add to our prayer list. We need this stopped. So these are all like, you know, a bunch of Karens who have nothing better to do. Um, well, the funny thing about it all is... You know, I was, we were talking off air about it. Was these people in Tennessee who are saying, "Well, they're going to open a portal to hell"? Like, do they not realize that there's been festivals all over the planet for years? Like, if there's going to be portals to hell, they'd already be opened. <laughs> and I mean, I get it because it's a very small. It would be like if they did it in your parents' town, a small town. Right, but it, at some point you had to be like. <sighs> I, this is what I dislike about people like this. You don't really live in the real world. Mm -mm, you don't. Like, you might disagree with metalheads and, you know, how they live and the ideology of some of the music or whatever. But, in you know, we you would think that we've kind of grown since the 80s where we knew that wasn't really what was destroying the world. Mm -hmm. You know? Time and time again, metal... Mm -hmm. and, and a lot of it has been... Um, <clears throat> like, they proved that... The satanic panic, a lot of it was, like, implanted in people's minds. Remember, they were saying that um, they were going to reverse psychologists and stuff, and they're like, don't you remember being taken down into the dungeon and worshipping Satan and blah, blah, blah? Yeah, and it's just, you know, at this stage, like, I don't, I don't get it. Like, I don't even know how bad it's going to be when they actually have the festival, like, hopefully it won't get banned or any crazy shit like that, but, uh, it's just funny. I, I just, I, you know, we're in 2022 and there's still all these Bible thumpers out there, like, preaching about how corrupt and evil metal is. Like, they just haven't grown. They haven't researched anything. They're not very bright. I'm sorry. They're not, you know, if you, if you don't really know what it is you're talking about, you know, you might look at something like, uh, 
you know, a black metal band from the 90s and say, oh, that's example of all metal, like, that's how everyone is. Like, no, dude, don't be stupid. Well, let's just go to the basis of, like, what everybody is saying um, Christianity is, is supposed to be about love and acceptance, and Jesus loved everybody. He, you know, prayed with the sinners and, you know, loved the prostitutes. These fucking Christians are off the fucking rails. Like, they want to... Like, anything that hurts their feelings or hurts their whatever, their beliefs, they work on anything they can to ban it. We can go back to what happened with Roe versus Wade. That was a hugely conservative, Christian, Republican thing. By the appointment of that, they appointed the, the correct judge to get in there to get their point across, is what I'm basically saying. Now, under the guise of which I, I said again, I get it, that it is not a constitutional thing that the Supreme Court should never have voted on it or, or even took the case, whatever. But I see Christ, Christians, I'm putting in quote unquote, like you see these Christians and again, you're supposed to be at love and acceptance and all they're doing with anything that is not what their belief is, is tearing it down, whether you're uh, a gay person or maybe you're a metalhead or you, it, they don't even want to open their eyes to see that it's not about like, there are many metalheads that are just good people and mm -hmm. they don't want to see that. Like most of, all of us, I'm saying most of us, we all have jobs and families. That's because everything, it works against their ideology. So if this festival takes place in their town and there's no like violence there's no criminal activity mm -hmm. then then they would be like oh because I, I if i'm a news person i'd go back and ask the same people after the concert like okay so where was their portal of hell again was it open because i missed it right uh and how many people were killed by metalheads like i'd be asking these people and they would have no words for it it's always like they take that one um outlier mm -hmm. like varg yeah. yeah, they take the one outlier and be like, this is what all metalheads are. Right. And then we start to see the type of things that, like, different metalheads have done. Like, we love obituary. And the one thing we love about them is they're huge uh, animal lovers. You know, they're, they've got, I don't know if it's their own shelter or if they just sponsor a shelter. But everything they do is for animal welfare and I'm like that is that's so metal but you like that's a nice thing and it is charitable and these are all the things that Jesus speaks of being kind doing something charitable doing good things for the community but because they're metalheads these hardcore Christians are just be like it's terrible they're singing about blood and and zombies and murdering and this is just wrong and our children are cannot hear these things and these would be the same people that few years back would go into the theater to watch Passion of the Christ with all its blood and gory and whatnot and then it's like read the Bible that is that's some deep shit I mean I I everybody likes to pick out these like hopeful phrases and put them mm -hmm. on shirts and cups and stuff yeah God was if you're actually believer in God he was very vindictive yeah Old Testament God ain't, ain't playing right he ain't playing at all and I, I grew up in a Catholic family, um, so going to a Catholic mass is you actually go to catechism classes so that you understand how to interpret the Catholic mass and the communion. And I think it's one reason why I 
connected so much with Ghost is because they're satirically kind of mocking Catholicism, but in very, I mean, clearly Papa is very direct, but like some of their lyrics and stuff are so very uh, discreet that if you weren't born and haven't gone to catechism or Catholic school, you wouldn't even get what they're saying. Um, but I, I find that because I grew up Catholic and in Catholic, I don't know, like you grew up all kinds of different things. They, your parents loved going to different churches. In Catholicism, you have an, two Old Testament readings and then you have a gospel reading. So you got three readings and then you got the priest who gets to give his opinion and do his own little stand-up show after the gospel and then you get commute like it's it's a fucking sh like it's it's a whole production every sunday and it's not like an exciting production like jesus christ superstar it is a it is somber and there's organs and trust me i think i've read the whole bible and been to mass and i've heard it's it's there's wrath there is you know women getting babies cut out of their stomach because they had babies out of wedlock, pe people being stoned to death, like, these Christians, I, I bet you, and I challenge any musician out there, read some Old Testament shit, you can make up, you can use it word for word, and make some metal music, and then the Christians would be all like, oh my god, I'm like, I'm sorry, this is like Deuteronomy, like, <laughs> the, you know, this is from the Old Testament and you're you're questioning it just because it sounds scary and it looks scary and it doesn't have that appearance that you ha they want this cookie cutter everything has to be like Brady Bunch perfect existence and anything that is not their normal is not acceptable well and that and plus like basically and I've always said just like, you know, if you're having a, a concert or whatever at a, a venue, if it's not, like, actually interfering with your life, you shouldn't be worried about it. It's none of your business. You can avoid it. You know, no one's forcing your kids mm -hmm. to go there. Like, that's one thing about the 80s that they kept always saying, oh, you're correcting our kid. No. You'd be a better parent if, you don't, if you're so worried about that. Like, you'd be a better parent. You worry about you and your kids. But if your kids are trying to escape you by going to the music like that, that's telling you something you're doing something wrong. Yeah, why don't you try to understand what they're listening to? Like, maybe ask the kids, like, hey, I understand you're listening to this. Give me some information on it so that I can understand what appeals to this. I mean, my dad, you hear him, he's like, oh, that shit that Scott listens to. I was like, I listen to it, too. He's like, ugh. I, you know... But then, like... You know, we'll still listen to the stuff that they like. Mm -hmm. But it, it cracks me up about your dad because he at times likes, he likes hip-hop at times. I'm like, I don't like anything. more shit. like R&B. He does not like rap. He does not like hip-hop, hip-hop. But right. he likes, like, the, the slow jams and the, like, boys to men stuff. And then he'll flip the switch and he'll be like, yeah, country. And I'm like, since when do you like country? So, for me, I, I do see, like, we feel the judgment sometimes like being the black sheep in our families and our families aren't even like out there to judge us you, you can just say oh we're going to the maryland death fest or we're going to 
the Metal Devastation Fest, or we're going to see our friends in the band, and it's like, oh, that sounds scary. Like, that's what it is. And this Tennessee Metal Devastation Festival, it's 13 bands. It's one day. Suck it up, Karen. <laughs> right. Eat a dick. <laughs> like, I mean, they're they're afraid. What are we going to do? Burn down Tennessee? Right. I... I if you are interested in getting tickets to the Satanic Metal Devastation Festival where we're going to open a portal to hell and all the Karens are going to stand around and protest, which I would love. If there is a protest outside of it of all the Karens, the website is metaldevastationradio.com and then backslash, or is that, which way is this? Is that backslash or forward slash? Forward slash. Metal dash devastation dash music dash fest. But if you just go to metaldevastationradio.com, it is on the front and you can click on um, the Tennessee Music Festival. Like it's right there. You can just click on it to purchase tickets. All right. Well, let's get into our music again. Uh, we got two blocks of great music coming away. Some stuff from Necrotic Records, brand new stuff from Catacombs. Uh, then in the first block we're going to play, I got a track from Evermore provided by Scarlet Records in here. But I got a couple classic tracks. Oh, I just forgot to say, um, our friends Grave Huffer will be at the Metal Devastation Radio Festival. Yep. Sorry, go get back to it. Uh, a couple classic tracks. Uh, first one's by a band called Wild Pussy. Mm. And then kicking it off. Tad Moreau's with Anubis. I actually used this in my alternative uh, intro that was created for me. So, Your alternative intro? What's to that? There was the one that uh, they made for me a long time ago. But I, I used it for many of my rock shows back in the past. But, mm. but this was the backing track because Anubis, of course. Nice. So here we go. Tad Moreau's and we'll be back.
is Anime from Darken and you are listening to the Cause of Chaos only on Metal Tavern Radio.
everyone, this is Blake from Pig Destroyer, Hate Beak, and Zealot R.I.P. And you are listening to DJ Anubis and DJ Neko at Metal Tavern Radio. Get into it now. Alright, getting ready to jump into our rock block. Got new stuff from Oceans of Slumber, Jorn, and Within Temptation. Nifty. Got some classic stuff from Winger and Bloody Heels, as well as Winger. Actually, it's I found that they didn't end in 1992. Like they actually had a couple more albums since then. So I actually you were listening to some of their more newer, right? It's not newer, but they actually have a record coming out this year or next. I don't know which, but some bands still apparently doing work. so good for them, you know. Uh, I think I was just reading a article where initially um, Kip wasn't like... Initially, Winger was kind of hurt about the whole Beavis and Butthead Yeah, I, I know. I know they were. And uh, But Kip said, you know, I really didn't take it super personal because Mike Judge is a cool guy. And actually, what they were saying, he was saying, was when they went to do the movie... Uh, he actually was hoping that Mike would give him a voice for one of the characters. But they didn't do it, but, like, he was kind of hoping he would, and I thought that would have been kind of cool. But, uh, yeah, they said, yeah, you know, it's just, it's weird that that happened, and, like, it really affected the band. Stuart. (laughs) Yeah. Stuart. Um, so, yeah, uh, we'll get into our rock block here. Uh, the Oceans of Slumber is cool, because they're doing, uh, House of the Rising Sun. We've talked and talked about that song. Yep. But uh, here's Within Temptation, new stuff from them. It's called Shed My Skin, and we'll be back in a few.
rising sun A thousand warriors bled as one For the honor the kingdom come in paradise So real, written words on faded sheets that we follow like flocks of sheep till the bitter end. Nothing learned and nothing gained through the ages of being framed. Cure only in God's name. Are you feeling my rage? Throw me inside your cage. It's time to turn the page. Will human race ever learn?
Looking for a place to take care of all your automotive needs? Then get in touch with Stauffer's Auto Service in Millersville, Maryland. Stauffer's takes care of all auto repairs, auto service, and great quality parts as well. Stauffer's is located at 8328 Veterans Highway, Suite E in Millersville. Be sure to call and check out all their service specials related to your automotive needs. Stauffer's is professional, friendly, and is highly qualified mechanics who do excellent work with prices that are fair and much better than what you will find in other automotive places. So call 410-729-0121. That's 410-729-0121. And tell them the newsman and his trusty sidekick, Neko, sent you
from their 2022 release, Rotten Romance, Bloody Heels with Our Sinners. And I really love when bands give me that nostalgic 80s vibe, and they do a good job of that. What'd you think? I loved it. So now we are ready for your pick of the week, and kind of hitting a little bit on that... Uh, Nostalgia vibe. That plus the 80s sort of pop rock vibe. Uh, it was a very popular song back then. It actually became like an MTV anthem for a while. That's that's one of the reasons I, I picked it. Um, where were we? And we heard this. And that's kind of like what made me put I it on the list. I think we saw it on a dock or something. I don't know. Because I, um, like, I don't know. this. I think the Sultans of Swing... Yep. Is like the only other song I really know by right. Dire Straits. I'm not a huge Dire Straits fan, but Money for Nothing is an important song just in general. Hey, chicks for free. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I found it really interesting. Um, some of the, uh, I don't know what the right word is, some of the information that I read about Money for Nothing. So it was peaking at number one for three weeks on the both the U.S. Billboard Billboard Hot 100 and the Top Rock Tracks chart, and number four in the U.K. Um, they performed this song at Live Aid and the 28th Annual Grammy Awards in '86. It also they also won the Best Rock Performance by a duo or group with a vocal and was nominated for Record of the Year and Song of the Year. And then at the '86 MTV Music Awards, the video received 11 nominations and won Video of the Year and Best Group Video. So this was like a very groundbreaking song. It was interesting. This is also what we were talking about before uh, last episode, the importance of MTV during the 80s. You know, this... Yeah, we were talking about it more when we were talking about Robin Crosby because Rat, again, was a mm -hmm. product of all that MTV exposure. And it, it really makes it interesting to see like that whole I want my MTV bit was because like now it's times they're not changing as much MTV was not available in every market not available in every um, cable provider not of so they MTV launched this promo saying call up your cable provider and say I want my MTV so mm -hmm. these commercials were playing all the time and this was right around here, um, 85, 86, that these, I want my MTV because... I want my MTV! Exactly! And I think, kind of like we were talking about with the Tennessee Metal Devastation Festival, you know, places like Baltimore, um, it's kind of, you know, we're so close to New York and Philadelphia and Washington, even though we're a smaller city, we're in that, like, zone where we still do, are lucky to get, um still a lot of the major things mm -hmm. but if you're talking about uh tennessee where it's a little bit more um rural and a little bit more um conservative oh. they probably really did want their mtv but the and this is also back in the 80s where there were a million different miniature cable providers and you know maybe one week we can have a discussion of some of the stuff that i learned about how cable tv became cable tv but to give you kind of a quick you know 10 second synopsis um cable television 
kind of started with people who were not in the um, zone of the antennas. Right. So they would, the collective group would pay to have a monster antenna or satellite. Like a lot of, this is like a lot of rural areas. They're too far away. So they would pay for this. And then the people who wanted access to it would pay whoever bought this monster antenna. So you may be getting the Baltimore feed, but you're all the way out like in Western Maryland where the antenna just wouldn't pick up. Which is another reason why um, in Western Maryland you see a lot of um, Pittsburgh fans because they would get a lot of Pittsburgh feeds because I guess the airwaves were closer than getting Baltimore things. So that's why there's a lot of Steelers bars out there and stuff Mm -hmm. when we went out to um, Deep Creek. So when you take this into account back in the 80s when, you know, cable TV is still kind of in its infancy where they're creating new channels and not everybody has the same cable provider because it's like, okay, before Comcast, I forgot what the name of the cable provider here was because Comcast is it started off and then it just kind of spread and bought the other cable providers. But these cable providers, they have to pay for permission to have certain things, just like now, you have right. to pay for permission to have certain things on. And if you're going to be in a more conservative area or a place where there's not a lot of people, there's not like a population density, you're not going to have enough people to pay for all these channels. So you're still only going to get like your four channels. And they're not going to bring cable to you or it'll be like that's why a lot of satellite tv remember back in the 80s and early 90s like the gigantic satellites people had in their backyard because they couldn't get cable so they said okay well i'm going to pay for satellite tv this money for nothing is really pulling at the 80s nostalgia because store cable communication it might be or is that too early it might be because for a long time, again, because looks like there was a few uh, American cable systems. Apparently, was changed over to Comcast. I mean, there's probably a few different ones. I mean, for a while we had um, it wasn't in so much shape because we couldn't get it. Millennium, do you remember that one? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, what what makes again with that? Baltimore is such an interesting area, and since we live right outside the city. Um, we were able even with antennas because we're so close to washington dc and so close to philadelphia if uh which is this is hysterical because we still have the old school 1950s antenna on top of our house which is what people used to have to use to get their tv um and i almost never want to take it off because it's there and it makes me happy but it's not connected to anything you just see this antenna that will not work now it does not pick up digital or anything it was the old analog antenna so what that meant for us like even if you didn't before cable or if you didn't have cable and before they turned it into the there's no more analog tv it's digital tv you if you could because these antennas on the roof they could like adjust themselves there was a button and it would like go different ways like if you pointed it north or pointed it south we're close enough we can we could get a lot of dc stations too and that was cool anyway we got our mtv i remember when my my family you know we pretty much always had cable um and 
that was kind of a big deal because I even remember my grandfather saying, I am not paying to watch television. He was, uh uh-uh. <laughs> but he, I guess when they... All times change. Well, this is, you know, this is in the 80s, and they used to have this channel called Home Team Sports. It was a local, and that's where the Orioles games would be, and um, the Colts before the Colts left game, games would be, and, uh, you know, you get some, like, Capitals games. It was Baltimore Skipjacks at the time, there was, uh, and Baltimore Bullets at the time. So Home mm. Team Sports, you basically, in order to get it, you had to put like this little filter on the back of your television and it like screwed in with the coax cable and it allowed the signal to come through. And that, I mean, like think of how different technology, we'll just stream whatever the fuck we want now, just with a click of a button. So this song is an anthem for the people who do not live in... <laughs> we're giving you the bonus plan. It's the eight-minute version. <laughs> yeah, we're giving you the eight-minute version. I've never heard this version, so it'd be interesting. I, I think it's like a jam session. Maybe. So I had never heard the eight-minute version either, and um, I, I saw that the MTV version is like the four-minute version, and the, the radio version is probably like... Three minutes. The three-minute, because they cut it off when it starts like going into the repeat. Right. Um, I, I just... So much of this is, an it's just an important groundbreaking video. It's an important song. It just shows you how the power of of music television. Yeah, the MTV just just took off and it was turned, a whole new thing. I mean, I mean, by 1986, they had um, MTV Music Video Awards, which it was still a smaller awards thing, but you see what it grew to, like mm-hmm. the size of what the Grammys are. Yeah. And MTV Europe didn't even launch until 1987, and it was the first video to be aired in MTV Europe. Because for a long time... Um, Do you remember what the first one is over on MTV? Video kill the radio yes. yeah. star. The um, But... And it was kind of, it's kind of fitting because video killed the radio star. Sure the fuck did. Mm-hmm. So, what I, again, it's really to see how technology has grown. And we, we kind of covered this last episode about what the power of MTV did and it just propelled us forward. I know sometimes you and I just wax poetically about the 80s and 90s and we look back like, we feel like the 80s and 90s were like just the right amount of television and the right amount of internet and the right amount of everything and now you know we've lived through that and then we lived through the early 2000s like wild wild west of the internet where you had napster and you had all the hackers and you had people going in crazy sketchy chat rooms but without what dire straits had done and without mtv we would never have advanced and thought of the technology now because honestly um everything that is popular now is because of what came before and i i know like it sounds like i'm an old person like oh you don't appreciate but i appreciate what we have now a hundred percent i just really wish that there was um a way that I could convey it to, you know, say my niece who is on TikTok 
20 hours of the day and say, you wouldn't have had TikTok without, you know, you could go and, and digest it and go backwards. Mm-hmm. So um, I want to do one more thing. The music video for the song features early animation, like the 3D animation we see in um, like Finding Nemo or, so this is like an early version of computer animated human characters not that that were not drawn you know most cartoons were drawn and they're kind of like flat and they have storyboards this was an animated thing like pixar so this is also a big deal they you know a lot of people weren't playing with this type of um technology because it wasn't perfect yet but they didn't want it to look perfect they just wanted to express what's happening in their song they wanted to kind of showcase it and like the perfect it's a perfect 80s analogy because it's like that square you know 8-bit looking you know when you play pac-man everything's in pixels and that's what it kind of reminds you of um so it says in here the hungarian pop band elso emlet and their video aljvagi lovak appears as baby baby by first floor during the second verse in the song and the song is credited as being on maggie mar records maggie mar mean in hungarian is the hungarian language the other one is fictional sally by the ian pearson band the fictional album in the first video was listed turn left and the second was hot dogs so at first they mtv however was insistent on the concept of the music video and the the uh mark knopfler i'm not sure who that is he was very anti-videos all he wanted to do is that the that's the singer right i'm not sure yeah I'm, I'm not a big fan of the band overall but yeah so he really didn't want to um to do the video but mtv was like you've got to put out a video so he's like everything about the song and about the video um is kind of sarcastic you, you know what I mean? Like, so I just wanted to put that little bit of uh, information out there. So I, I'm pretty impressed with everything with this song. And I really, again, without further ado, without, oh, one more thing. When Dire Straits performed Money for Nothing at the Live Aid concert, the performance featured a guest appearance by Sting. So here, I actually remember seeing that. So here we are. Let's let's just remember that this is huge, big, historical music. So without further ado, I will present you the extended release version of Money for Nothing and let's Chicks go. for free. Chicks for free. Audio jump. Attention please. Be prepared for a musical transformation that you've never felt before. In a moment, we will bring you on a journey like there's no tomorrow and we will break new ground. Audio Jungle. 
from the land below the wind. Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. Ladies and gentlemen, for your jump, let's welcome DJ Neko's pick of the week.
Mr. Hawaiian noises. He's banging on the bongos like a chimpanzee. Oh, that ain't working. That's the way you do it. Get your money for nothing. Get your checks for free. We got to install microwave oven, custom kitchen deliveries. We got to move these refrigerators. That's the way you do it. You play the guitar on the MTV. That ain't working. That's the way you do it. Money for nothing and your chicks for free. Money for nothing. Chicks for free. Money for nothing. Chicks for free.
God, I know I'm one My mother was a tailor Listening to Metal Tavern Radio. Time. 
ride. Okay, Matthew McConaughey. I know. I love that fucking movie. <laughs> and the thing is, that's like one line from one movie that he did. That's iconic. And it's his, yeah. All right, all right, all right. So all one right. topic I really want to talk about, it's not the happiest of topics. It is for me just in case, you know, in terms of one of my favorite musicians uh, from one of my favorite bands from the 80s. Mm-hmm. And that is Robin Crosby, a rat guitarist. Mm-hmm. Uh, a guy that is nicknamed King. Big uh, part of the songwriting for Rat. He was also one of the co-founders with Stephen Piercy, uh, vocalist. And, uh, you know, apparently, you know, according to Piercy, Robin was influenced a lot by Billy Gibbons and Jimi Hendrix uh, growing up. And, uh, but, you know, as it's kind of an interesting thing about Robin in terms of what happened in his life with the band like as it got as the band obviously you know in the 80s they were all about sex drugs and rock and roll and i mean that's what it was yeah you give these bands these unbelievable contracts and you have like it's like almost a blank check what are you gonna do right well and they said you know at the time robin said well we try to come off with a lot of sex appeal in our lyrics and our look rather than having a violent or rebellious image so they knew going into that scene in the L.A. and, and all that stuff, like the whiskey and whatnot, that's because they became like a house band at the whiskey uh, during that time uh, before they got signed. And, uh, you know, they again, it's like, you know, Motley Crue, Van Halen, all these bands that were drawing these girls in. And, you know, that was kind of their thing. And that's how they, you know, garnered a lot of attention. Plus, you know, Nikki Six talked about how he and Robin used to hang out a lot and they of course would do drugs and whatnot and of course unfortunately for Robin he got uh really hooked on heroin and it led to basically being a part of the reason why he was kicked out of the band or had to leave due to you know because he just couldn't focus yeah I was reading the article hold on let me get tragic okay so there was one point in the article where they're basically saying like he he went into rehab and he couldn't go on tour with the band and then it's like he was he got better he got out of rehab but like as soon as he got out of rehab it was like he was not better he was like switching from heroin to alcohol and he was like downing like a whole big bottle of vodka the and something that could literally kill you like drinking an entire bottle of vodka in a night would just destroy you but he had such a high tolerance to substances because he'd been drinking and so then the band was really kind of like okay um we're gonna have to replace you on this tour and that was kind of like where he went back into rehab yeah he was starting to face depression and he had found out that he had aids oh that's right he was hiv positive needle use and Mm -hmm. stuff and then like i guess it shut down his metabolism he gained a lot of weight uh, there was actually a video where he was being interviewed. Now, he was kind of like, you know, he's he took it kind of well, but, you know, he still dealt with a lot of depression from that because he did try to get back in the rat, and they wouldn't take him back. You know, they felt, they said that he could no longer really play the way he used to, but he thought it was more just because the way he looked. Like, he was a big dude at this point, so. And maybe they, I don't think it is any of that. I think maybe they didn't feel like they could trust him. That and, too. And it's their lifestyle and their business. And, I mean, there's a partying lifestyle, which they live the life. 
but he took it to a point where it was detrimental to the band and the band is probably like uh we had him in here and he's fucking just drinking and on heroin and um, i think by the time he wanted back in he'd kind of gotten cleaned up but you know he still just wasn't there and but yeah, being on the road would be a problem for him in that regard. Well, so it says after um, in '94 that Rat looked to reform. So, like Crosby was excited. Like he was like, all right, he sold all of his possessions, and he was looking to get back with his old bandmates and wanted to start to start afresh in um, L.A. But they fell apart again once the band got into rehearsals. And they're saying Crosby was not in any shape to play as the, guitar the guitarist uh, because he was. they could see he had gained a lot of weight and he was still using drugs, whether it was hard drugs or not. But they sidelined him and decided to go with another guitarist. And... Um, and this is in 94, and I think, when did he pass away? In 2002? 2002 or three, yeah. So, this is in 94, and I think Robin Crosby was, like, um, starting then, after he was shunned by his old bandmates, it was just like, he's like, I'm HIV positive, I have nothing really to live for. He found out that his pancreas had, um shut down mm -hmm. but he wasn't like diabetic it was something different than like what regular diabetes is so he can't metabolize food so he um he admitted that he was living in hospice care and a lot of people were were just kind of like writing him off at that time yeah but he um and it's a harsh business. Like. It is. And he, Kurt Dudley, became friends with Crosby in the last couple of years of his life. And um, I don't know if he was in hospice when he died or not. They didn't really give details about that. But, like, he he was in hospice when his pancreas... It says in 94 when his pancreas shut down. So I can't believe he would be in hospice from 94 to 2002. So maybe he was, like... Well, it was a pretty quick turnaround like after uh the album in 91 or 92 um that was when he was he left so like it wouldn't surprise me like it, it, it was a big but that's a long time hospice is usually for end of life but he um kurt dudley said that crosby was disappointed that even though his former bandmates lived about a half an hour away from him they never came to visit and oh, um he's you know dealing with his depression and his demons and his body shutting down and he's hiv positive and he's still dealing with his um his uh addiction and so they knew it was the end when he started living with an old partying friend yeah in may and then roughly a month later, Crosby passed away. So I think maybe he was kind of like in some kind of halfway house for a while, and he was still keeping up with some people. Um, 
I'm sure because he was a member of Brad, he was making a little bit residuals on things that were kind of going around. But if he's struggling and he needs medical bills and he's has an addiction, he's probably just blowing through. The I I remember one time, Everclear was on Howard Stern and he, the lead singer I can't remember his name, really spoke about his addiction and stuff. And at one point he sold the rights. Yeah, we talked all, about that. Before. Yeah, so. He was saying, the, the lead singer was like, it was like having a nice little $40,000 a year job that it because of the residuals being played or whatever, but because he has no rights to it now. And I think maybe either um, Robin Crosby was probably getting a small, you know, maybe $40,000 a year residual into the 2000s. This is before that the resurgence of the 80s bands kind of picked up again. So now, if he was still alive, it would probably be even more. But he met up with an old partying friend, and that's what really, like, it was the depression. He missed his band. He, his, he was sad about his body, like, betraying him, and he just decided to, you know, go really hard into the drugs when he met his old drug buddy. Yeah, and you know the, the the other interesting tidbit with Robin uh, was he was actually dating Tony Katane, the actress model, prior to Rat being signed. So when you look at the Rat EP, that's her legs with the rats run, and also she's on the cover of Out of the Cellar. Uh, she would then go on, of course, to marry David Coverdale, White Snake, and appear in all those videos for them. Mm -hmm. uh, but she was interviewed at one point uh, talking a little bit about Robin and you know she was in contact with Robin towards the end of his life but you know there was one point I guess uh, he had said to her that you know I wish we would have had kids together or gotten married or something and it kind of hit her hard uh, you know back then because they'd already moved on from each other but they were friends uh, but she said, you know, I was in a marriage and I had two children. Rob was the love of my life. And to not have a child with the love of my life. And it kind of just pauses. His birthday was August 4th. Mine was August 5th. Aw, that's my, my grandfather and my grandmother. Yeah, so, you know, it, she she took it kind of hard. And, you know, she passed away, I think, in 20 or 21. So she's, she's gone from us, too, now. But... I think, though, you know, there was something that said during a 99 interview with VH1 behind the music, it seemed like, you know, he's still, I don't think he ever was 100% clean, ever. And he made, like, a, a comment saying, when I die, nobody cry at my funeral. Let's all have a big party. I've lived the life of mm -hmm. 10 men. So, I also think, and God, this, I... I don't know what happened between Robin and his bandmates, but it was pr enough that it created a big enough um, bridge, not bridge, um, gap, or... Well, you know, the funny thing is, it's not even just Robin. Like, I've followed this up a lot, is there's two factions of Rat now. There's Bobby Blotzer and Juan Crusher who consider themselves part of Rat, which they lost, I think to Steven. They actually had to go to court and figure this out because Steven's like, no, the band name is ours. It was me and Robin who created it. And even Warren got tied up in the middle of all that. So it's like... Just uh, like Queens, right? Yeah. But now, but see, now they can't... But Blotcher can't go and use the rat name. They, they had to, I think they went back to Mickey Rat or something at that point. Uh, but Steven's the only one that's got 
rights to that name. Stephen Piercy. But they always have infighting. Like, even when they did Infestation in 2008, which was a great record, they got Carlos Cavazzo from Quiet Right to do guitars on that, which they had the old rat sound, which was something I really loved about the record. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, oh, cool, you know, these guys are back. Maybe they'll put out a couple more records. Because, you know, they're getting older, but maybe they'll put out a couple more good records. Well, <laughs> it didn't take long, and they all fell apart again. Like, it just... It seemed like there was a lot of infighting, and that could have contributed to a lot of what was going on with Robin. Maybe he felt like he was, um... Well, it was. Pulled side to side, you know? Because Robin was a... Which I learned, like, with Nikki with Motley Crue, is that they were both major parts of the songwriting for those bands. Like, even though... Nikki plays bass, and even though Robin plays guitar, they were both like very instrumental in the sound that those bands mm-hmm. created. So when they're I mean, not there, you can kind of tell. Even that... Stephen Piercy said he was our leader and my right hand man, and mm-hmm. we always called him King. He yeah. was our King in in our eyes. I mean, being in a band is we we see this. It's not easy. You are traveling with the same people. You are working with the same people, and it started off as something fun and enjoyable and a party thing and when it turns into a business that's kind of like what I see happen was like it turned into alright now we're, we're a business now we're under contract now we're making records and we're making money and Robin's lifestyle was being detrimental not only to himself but to the band and they had to figure something out but you know I do kind of feel bad at the end when they were like when he was saying like none of his bandmates ever reached out to him I'm gonna share a personal story because I have a friend of mine who um, she and I've known each other probably since 1991 and she's been on some hard times and like every time I reach out to her something's going on and like she's been arrested for prostitution she's been in halfway houses she doesn't even have custody of her daughter anymore she's estranged from her family and at one point like I hadn't heard from her in so long that I actually reached out to her family and they didn't even care like that she was so this person the last time I reached out to her I was actually out on the boat And when I asked her, you know, how she was, she was telling me she was in a really bad car accident and she was showing me, like, what happened to her and she's got, like, pins in her legs and stuff and, you know, I asked her if she's with her mom and she's, like, she's estranged from her mom. She's living with who knows who. Um, She'd been sued from not paying rent at, like, those extended stay places where, you know, stuff happens. And I was really upset. You know, because I was like, this is my friend, and I'm not living her lifestyle, but there's nothing I can do about it. But she asked me for $20. And I'm like, first of all, I was on the boat, so there's nothing I can do. And I'm like, and I was like, listen, I'm away. There's nothing I can do to send you $20. I don't have any access to my my accounts right now. And then she kind of made this comment like, oh, well, if you're on Facebook, you can send me money through Facebook money. And I'm like, what is $20 going to do for you? I mean... I would have rather sent her food or like helped her figure something out and I never and I again you know me I I feel guilty but I you know I can't help that the last like god what's been like 10 years of her life has been she just she's been addicted to drugs and apparently 
the car accident that she was in, it was really bad, um, and it wasn't her fault, the person uh, ran a red light. And it was, you know, like coming. The bad luck. Yeah, bad luck. The guy was coming off of a, a inter a overpass, like you know what I mean, like off mm -hmm. ramp. And she was going through, and the person didn't stop at the red light and hit her, and it just. But it was she had a stolen car. So, I didn't say I. I so I think I'm gonna just say from like Stephen Piercy's side. Well, I have reached out for years, but there's nothing that my $20 is going to do for her except for get her more cocaine or whatever she's taking right now. Yeah, because you never know like if he's, if, the, if Robin saw them that he'd be like, well, can we just get out and go do partying or something? Because like, you don't know that. Mm -hmm. I mean, but I understand that the other side of that is like... You feel so lonely and isolated. isolated. Yeah, because like, you feel like your own abandoned you. But musically, uh, you know, Robin... You know, was it, I always consider those first five uh, rat records to be like all-time classics. Mm -hmm. It was a really good start to finish. Uh, he also was the guy who found and produced the first uh, Lillian Axe album, which was another band that became kind of. See, big. I don't know much about Lillian. They're pretty good, um, but the I found this tidbit very interesting because I did not know this. Mm -hmm. He actually appeared on. The soundtrack to Young Guns 2, uh, the uh, John Bon Jovi record, uh, Blaze of Glory, he actually plays on track 7, which is Never Say Die. Oh, really? But apparently uh, there's a lot of people that played on this with Bon Jovi. So you have Jeff Beck, who's currently playing oh, cool. with um, Don Johnny Depp. Uh, Robin, of course. Uh, Randy Jackson on bass. <laughs> Randy Jackson! Yep. Randy Jackson played with lots of different bands, like Journey. Um, uh, some piano tracks on that record played by Elton John. <gasps> Damn, that is like an all-star. Uh, Alda Nova played on there. You probably don't know who that is. Uh, Little Richard played some piano on there. And actually, in a couple of tracks, uh, actor Lou Diamond Phillips sang on a couple of those. He is actually a very good singer. Um, well, he did La Bamba, mm -hmm. so yeah. When I was in high school, I went to see The King and I in New York, and he played the King of Siam, and he was phenomenal. Funny story, I don't know if you heard that interview, uh, with the part of the interview with Jay Chandrasekhar that I was listening to. He's, he, he, Lou Diamond Phillips is in this new movie that Jay is... Um, directing and he said Lou Diamond Phillips nobody believes that he's Filipino because he's always like Native American or Hispanic or something and um but Lou Diamond Phillips is probably like I hate saying underrated but like you you don't think of him enough but when I I really felt like when I saw him in the king and I, the king and I I was like this dude is and this is back in like i don't know 95 but the funniest part about that is we're kind of like on that edge balcony seating and um there's a part of the king and i where the king is watching a um performance so he's up in the balcony seats that are right next to us and we're all like girls we're like hi 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 like waving to him and he's supposed to be like being serious and he's and then he did like this little Thing, and we're like, Bye! wave to us, because we're nerds. So, anyway, I found something else I wanted to speak on about Robin Crosby because it, it seems that Nikki Six is also was also really close 
with Robin Crosby and um, Nikki said, you know, he has also suffered through his addiction problems. Um, where is it? Thinking a lot about my best friend from back in the day. So many tributes are floating around the web this week. Miss you, King. Can't wait to start our UFO cover band someday. And um, they also said that Crosby was described as the peacemaker in Rat. And I, I think sometimes they are, the peacemakers are the ones who are the empaths. They like suck everybody's bad juju. So if you're saying that Stephen Piercy is fighting with Bobby over, and he, and, and, uh, Robin's just trying to like be like, come on guys, let's, and then he starts getting his addiction problem. Maybe like it was just too much for him. Oh yeah, well definitely. I mean that whole, the whole lifestyle is crazy. I mean you listen to, or if you read Nikki's book about the heroin diaries, like even though he was dealing with his own demons, like he said just the scene in general was just nuts. There's one picture here. Actually, it's a um, a YouTube. I'll have to show it to you. I found it. It's Robin's last recorded guitar solo, and he he is a little bit bigger. He's got a really cool beret on though. And um, here's this one picture of him as well, uh, older, right before he passed away, posing with a guitar. Um, I, I feel, like, really sad for him because he felt so alone and abandoned. Abandoned. <laughs> abandoned. He felt really alone, and I, I think, like, this is going to sound so crazy, but, and I've heard addicts say this before, like, oh, did you find it? He still had it. Like, I don't know when that was exactly done, but I just, you know, you you hear addicts talking about um, their drugs, their addiction, and stuff, and um, they almost treat it like the addiction is their only friend, and they put so much effort into the addiction. I mean, at one point, he said it was like a five hundred dollar a day addiction so he's spending astronomical like fifteen thousand dollars a month on heroin that he just couldn't keep up with it yeah. i mean like he he was just destitute he was lonely and sometimes i wonder like i was saying about my friend if he got he felt sad because his old bandmates were not connecting with him anymore but maybe it was kind of like what happened with me and my friend where it's like you get to the point every time you talk to them they're asking you for money and there have been times where i would send her like you know 20 40 bucks and i'm like 
I find out she was in jail or something and I'm like it's not I'm not really helping her I'm just adding to her addiction and maybe that's just what it was is they needed to put some space between themselves and him but that doesn't help the addict but again that's not their responsibility they have their lives and families too so this 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 story really just kind of hits me a little personally because I think about my my girlfriend Jamie a lot um yeah, and like I said, I just I grew up, and he was kind of like my he rock was your guy, idol, so. yeah. All right. So it was kind of fucking depressing. Well, yeah, but you know, I thought it kind of needed to be talked about. It you know, does. People tend to get forgotten about, and like I am a big rap fan. I still listen to him a lot. So. And what's funny is, as huge as they were, I had never heard Rat until I met you. Yeah. In two thousand two, so it's really weird that. I just, you know, I knew all kinds of other bands, but never, ever did I know about Rat. Yeah, I think I remember initially you were like, yeah, I'm not really feeling it. I then was like, eh. A few months later, like, I really like this band. It wasn't round and round. There was another song. Um, Lay It Down. I think it was Lay It Down. That I was like, okay, this is, this is good and cheesy enough for me. <laughs> and then when recently with the Geico commercials. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we have a rat problem. <laughs> round and round. All right, well, getting back into our music, uh, got a little bit of black metal stuff coming your way. Got Heidenreich, Ophidian Forest, provided by Against PR. But as promised, brand new Sulk You. Sulk You! Coming from the new record, The Colossal Weight of My Illusion. Damn, you, that's heavy. Yeah. It's called Slow It Down, Oh Lord. And I just look at it like his, his... His artwork? Well, well that, but also the uh, Metal Archives, like all his records. And looking back, there's like five of his records that are in my best of, like, I for know. those years. He is unbelievably phenomenal. I still have, like, a really big soft spot for The Blackness Within. I really love that record a lot. I hate sometimes... But Lazarus Denied was great, and then, of course, Pariah earlier this year was really good, so... I hate sometimes, like, I'll see Nuno, and he sometimes feels like... He'll get, like, a little self-doubting and stuff, and he'll post some things and be like, yeah, I think I'm done with making... And I'm like, we're like, no! <laughs> we're like, fuck everybody else, make it just for yeah, us. Yeah, that's right, and... and so he told us that he is working on a new album and he's going to dedicate a song to us because we love in, him. I think it's in this record. Oh, really? Really? Hold yeah. on, i got to find his post. Um, he, Nuno to us is like... God. God. And I actually... <laughs> he's going he's gonna to be like, you guys are fucking he's full He's like, shit. you guys are fucking <laughs> retarded. I mean, so I, one of our jobs is going to be in um, Brazil. So if I could get to Brazil, I'd be like, Nuno, I am in Fortaleza. How f I know Brazil's a giant country. So right. like, I'll be like, how far are you from Fortaleza? And he'll be like, uh, like. Well, if he's, a, if he's on one of the beaches, he could just cruise up the beach and he can meet up there. <laughs> but I, I just, everything about him, you know, I, I watch his, what he posts, like his, the artwork I was saying he was using and um, his music. For me, even if it's, like, not my style, I 100% enjoy it and appreciate it because he does the whole thing himself. Writes, edits, produces, composes. So, 
it just blows my mind that there is so much talent in one soul. Again, he is like our Devin Townsend. Like mm-hmm. that—that's exactly what Nuno does. He's just his vision, his way. I. The problem is for me is I could not even fathom how to do that myself. Like at all. I could not figure out. I couldn't write an album. I'd be like, uh, what am I going to write? A, what song am I going to write about? Uh, cats. Well, you remember when we did the whole Bunnies. MRU song? Yes, yes. Like, I, I got uh, asked to do the uh, lyrics that I had written, like, you know, at some point. So, like, that was my my uh, claim to fame right there. It was like, oh, yeah, you get two lines from some lyrics I wanted. <laughs> I created that. That was my big thing. I didn't even sing it. I had to ask sing it because I suck at singing. Where is that notebook? Uh, it's somewhere around. Oh my gosh! Yeah, that was. Might be upstairs. I don't know. We have. We've been in this house now sixteen years, and when you're in a house, you start accumulating shit. There's a lot of uh, lyrics I wrote in the '90s. But it was like almost. It was a. It was a notebook, and it was like almost like poetry. Like mm-hmm. you. You weren't necessarily like. It wasn't romantic. It wasn't romantic, but you weren't necessarily writing it like, all right, I got this really great concept album idea. You were writing down kind of like what you were thinking. Right. You know, you were you were just kind of, you know, jotting. Yeah, it, it was either like influenced by stuff that I was reading at the time or just horror themed or whatever. It just depends on my mood, but yeah. But I, you know, again... That is how you and I can really appreciate what Nuno does. He's He's got the lyrics, he's got the music, he composes it, produces it, releases it, and then we're both like, wow, this is solid. Yeah, I want to know that program he uses, because I want to do that with some of my lyrics. I want to see what it oh, comes Oh, he told with. me. I have to find it. Yeah, he's. Uh, he, I was talking to him a little bit on Facebook. Mm-hmm. All right, well, here it is. Slow it down, oh lord, from Sulk You. Sulk You!
is Patrick from the Canadian Press Middle and Reanimator, and you're listening to Middle Tavern Radio. talk a little bit more about drama and bands <laughs> this is total drama and bands this is like the epitome of drama and bands yeah so obviously um you know not unlike rat or white snake or queen's Reich or whoever uh van halen has been known to have their fair share of inner band issues and of course you know eddie van halen passed one away last year uh it doesn't take long for the two former lead vocalists of Van Halen to start talking trash to one another and saying who's better than who. Uh, clearly, uh, for myself, um, I've always been more of a Roth fan than Hagar. <laughs> I like Van Halen, not, not Van, Van Hagar. Hagar. Uh, but I do like the first two uh, Van Halen records with Hagar. Like 5150 and OU812 and are really good records for me. Uh, but I find that a lot of the material with Daily Roth uh, throughout his career with Van Halen early on was just much better overall in terms of feel and you know vocal styles and etc. But uh, recently on BraveWords.com, uh, Sammy Hagar was apparently like talking trash to Dave or about Dave, saying that he hasn't accepted that. You know, he was more successful with Van Halen than Roth was. And I, I kind of see some of what Sammy's hand, but I'm also saying to myself, it's the very thing we've been talking about the entire time about MTV. Mm-hmm. Uh, really, Roth really was just, Van Halen in general, like really, it was very early with 1984 when that took off for Van Halen as far as a record. And it was still kind of in MTV's infancy. Right, thank you. Uh, Whereas, by the time that Hagar took over in 85, he had all that time for the rest of the 90s, or the rest of the 80s, to capitalize on MTV's exposure for Van Halen. And and like I said, those first two records with Hagar were well-written, very good songs. I like a lot of the songs on those records. Uh, But after that, it it was like kind of hit or miss with me with Van Halen. Like there were certain songs on each record they did after that that I liked, but they weren't as a total package for me. But um, Hagar says, speaking in issue 15 of Planet Rock magazine, Sammy Hagar says, Daily Roth refuses to acknowledge that Van Halen was even more successful during his tenure, during Hagar's tenure with the band. And so... uh, there are different reasons for that, but I would say that whenever the argument for who the better frontman was, I think people were going to say Daily Roth. Like, he's just a better entertainer. Um, I think uh, he's the inspiration for Dr. Rock. He is. Of course he is. Ooh. Of course he is. You know, and, you know, obviously, uh, Extreme went and made a song about Roth. Like, it's like, you know, Ross stood out for a lot of ways, good or bad, uh, when it came to Van Halen. He had an ego, of course. But apparently so did Hagar because they let him go, too, at one point. So, um, 
you know, he says, but God bless Dave, he, but he refuses to acknowledge that Van Halen with me was even more successful than Van Halen with him. And that's very stupid of him. I'm like, it's not really true. I mean, do you have the numbers? Maybe that's literally what Sammy's looking at. Because Sammy Hagar himself was a successful person before Van Halen. Right. And even after Van Halen, he has been very successful just in business, like in general. Yeah, but I think he just, like, if he's saying successful in terms of money made, then he's probably right. But the reality is, again, there's other outlying issues to that. Uh, if MTV had uh, been started in 1970, we'd probably be saying something different about that because Van Halen was like, you know, a few years, like late 70s or something. Mm -hmm. So, you know, even though Van Halen was, with Roth was still putting records out when MTV started, it, it wasn't like really they were paying super close attention. A lot of the hair rock didn't start catching on really until 83 and 84. Mm hmm. Uh, with Def Leppard, uh, Rat, of course, um, bands like Molly Crew, uh, and of course Dawkin and all them. But I don't know. I just because like the early '80s really focused more on the pop side of things mm -hmm. for a while. And so, are you just doing it based? Are you saying this based off of like what more fans are saying? Like they feel more connected to David Lee Roth than they do to Sammy Hagar in a representation of Van Halen. But isn't it like Sammy Hagar was with Van Halen longer than David Lee Roth? Mm -hmm. well, so I, don't I, know, I don't know if he was or not. Maybe in time. But, that's what I mean. Like but record-wise, they were almost the same with Roth, actually, more maybe, I think. But there were times, too, like, I know Sammy Hagar avoids singing some of the Roth stuff when they were uh, well, we saw that torn. with Morbid Angel too for a while well here's here's the question I ask for anybody if you take out Hagar and put Roth back into the lineup for those records after the fact if, if David had never left do we think that Van Halen would not have been as successful he went the same songs but just sung differently no I don't but I also think too it wasn't just like David Lee Roth or Sammy Hagar behind this, it was, you know, the band itself behind a lot of this. But that's the thing, like, if I switch out Roth with Hagar when Van Halen started, I don't think they actually gained the notoriety that they did. Eddie was always a catalyst for the, the shit that was talked. We talked about how he influenced so many guitarists mm -hmm. and stuff. But Roth's stage antics really set them apart from a lot of other bands. But I also think he had the classic um, frontman syndrome and that's why he wanted to go well, solo. Well, the reasons why Roth left is because, yeah, he has an ego. But then a lot of frontmen do. David David Coverdale of White Stink is the same way. But but let's talk about... <coughs> excuse me, let me take a sip real quick. Um, classic frontman ego, Gene Simmons... But that's his band. You have a problem with it. I'm not leaving. You get the fuck out of here. Right. And that's why I'm wondering, like, because the band themselves didn't consider David Lee Roth as important as the rest of the band, why he walked away instead of standing his ground and saying, this is my band. Well, it's because it was Van Halen's band. Exactly. But that they didn't. 
but Hagar couldn't do the same. Like they told him to walk his ass. And out that's there. that's what I'm saying. Like there, these are just this band is very different because they are. It was start with the brother. Yeah, they are the band. Everybody else is more like uh, cogs, like putting into to make a perfect machine, and. David Lee Roth served his purpose in his era of, of Van Halen, and Sammy Hagar himself served his purpose in that era of Van Halen as well. And, I mean, like... We, well, that's the thing. Like, I'm for me, I don't really throw shade at Hagar. Like, I know it's funny to poke fun about the Joe Dirt thing and everything else, but, again, like, I do like those first two records. Like, 5150 is a great record, and it's great with Sammy on vocals, and... I have no problems with it. I was a little skeptical when Roth left. I was like, oh, God, how, what are they going to do? Because, you know, Roth was the front man. Uh, despite the band being as good as it is, despite Eddie being as good as he was, Roth was the face of Van Halen. Like, that, it's always tough because bands that you're so used to seeing, it, like Sepultura, when Max left, like, you know, what are you going to do? Like, it's... You're so used to seeing the guy. Even if he's not, like, the most talented of the group, he is your vocalist. He's the guy that you kind of latch on to because mm -hmm. he's the one up front. Uh, so I don't really think... See, I, I never understood, like, why these two guys decided to throw shade on one another. I think it's kind of dumb. Uh, as you just said really eloquently, is that Hagar served his purpose for when they took over. They, they kind of... They were doing Van Halen, but they were kind of doing it a different way than what Roth was doing with the band prior. And that's true. And I, and I don't know why we can't just accept that. I mean, I think that Roth is the better guy in terms of entertainment, but it doesn't actually... Like, even Michael Anthony, the bassist, he came out later and said that he felt that Hagar was the better singer of the two. Uh, funny that Gary Sharon never gets mentioned, but <laughs> you know, uh, even like I, I'm looking at their uh, like their members list. Right. And Gary Sharon's like like all the way at the bottom. Well, and it was so again so funny because he was with Extreme and they did Kid Ego, which was about Daily Roth, and I'm assuming that's sort of sort of what got Eddie in, interested in him, maybe doing the front man of Van Halen. I'm sure it was kind of a dream come true for uh, Gary, but they had that one single that was like the best song on the record. The rest of it was just trash. I don't even remember it. Yeah, it's not a very good... Van Halen 3 was the record they did. It just wasn't very good. I, For me, it's not like... It's about chemistry, too. I mean, it's not about better. It's about different mm -hmm. for me. I, um, I seriously... Now that... Metalocalypse has come out. I look at David Lee Roth as fucking Dr. Oxo, and then when I watch his solo stuff and old Van Halen stuff, it looks like Dr. Oxo. Like in my brain, he looks like it's like <laughs> David Lee Roth is a caricature, but I feel like Sammy Hagar almost was more, I don't want to say more serious, but. He was toned down. No, you, you have a right. He really wanted to sing and wanted to Roth participate. Roth was a showman. That's what he was. He mm -hmm. was a showman. Uh, Hagar was a singer. All right, so you might... 1977... All right, so they were formed in 72, mm -hmm. right? 
And I'm trying to see if uh, it was clearly formed by Eddie and Alex, but it says from 74 until 85, Van Halen consisted of Eddie, Eddie's brother Alex, vocalist David Lee Roth, and bassist Michael Anthony. Mm-hmm. But they were formed in 72. Who was there between 72 and 74? I'm guessing maybe some rando. Yeah, they found David later. and then... So 74 to 85 had, is uh david lee roth but they were one of the few bands on the scene at the time that was gaining a lot of ten- you know how it is it's like you have a group of bands so let's say you have van halen let's say you even have miley cooper or quiet right i think quiet right was around that time because they had randy Rhodes. but van halen was getting all the attention because of how good their live shows were mm-hmm. so obviously when gene simmons discovered him he uh got him out and got him signed and uh, they were actually called Mammoth at the time. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so... It, so, the, so this is what I'm saying. Like, it was 74 to 85 was Eddie Van Halen. That group, yeah. And then, or excuse me, uh, David Lee Roth. Mm-hmm. And then 85 to 96. So they're both 11 years. Mm-hmm. And then there was a temporary reunion with David Lee Roth in 96. 96 to 2000 was Gary Sharon. And then uh, 2000 to 2003 was a hiatus. Then there was a reunion with Hagar, 2003 to 2005. And then there was a reunion with Roth. And then we missed. Well, (laughs) it was Roth and Wolfgang Van Halen played. Right, because Anthony had left Mm -hmm. at that point. So... And, and honestly, like, after Eddie's death, the band is, like, done. Oh, yeah. They, did, they didn't even... <laughs> Who's going to try to do that? I'm not. I don't care how good a guitar as I thought, you know, I might be. But, dude, it, it, you see all the shit that's happening with Pantera right now and trying to fill Diamond's shoes. Like, no way. People are just throwing shade left and right. Right. And Zach's no slouch. He can play. No, he's not! But... That's what I was getting ready to say. I, Eddie, I, like, you know, you're, yeah, you just, even if somebody, even if Van Halen thought for a moment they were going to attempt that, even with Hagar and Anthony coming back, dude, whoever's going to be the guitarist, get ready for the, the, the hate machine to come at you because... And they would have to, like, um, frame it in such a manner where it would be, like, the Eddie Van Halen Memorial Concert in love and retrospect, they couldn't come out and be like, new Van Halen. They would have to be like, they'd have to acknowledge Eddie somehow. Yeah, it's so weird because we went to see Death to Us All, and obviously Chuck was a huge icon as well. But it wasn't the same kind of feeling. I mean, there were people when it initially started that were, like, very against it. Like, they just didn't want it. But I think the, I think the one thing that really is appreciative about that is whatever time period of death they were doing, they were getting the members of the band at that time. So, for us, it was Hoagland, DiGiorgio, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and uh, Massavidal. And so, if Van Halen were to do something... They they would have to be like like it's funny because Wolfgang is Eddie's son, mm-hmm. so 
I don't think they would tell Wolfgang to sit down if Anthony came back. But I think the only way they'd really accept something like that with a, like a guitarist that wasn't Eddie was to be to have the original guys there. Like that's the way you can kind of save yourself. Pantera doesn't have the luxury because both Vinny and Dime are gone. Mm-hmm. So now, well, it was kind of like when we went to see Static X. You know, Wayne's been gone for a long time, but they really played up the the story. The like the lead singer wore a mask yeah. that kind of looked like, like who is it? Who is this? But it looked like maybe. Uh, a ghost Wayne and he had the big hair like I I really did like that they they did that because that was pretty awesome yeah I mean and they sounded good like you know kudos to them they're still kind of doing stuff so unfortunately I missed it because of some issues but I heard them out from outside we heard them from outside I really think that they sold too many tickets and packed too many people in there and they, I know they had the air conditioning on, but like, I had never, we have been to Soundstage a lot. I used to go to Soundstage when it was a, a nightclub and it wasn't called Soundstage. I've been packed in that place. I have never in my life been packed inside a Soundstage the way we were with that Static X concert. Yeah, I don't think ever. even I don't think even Cannibal Corpse on Bitch no. was that packed. And that was the My Bloody Valentine thing. Yeah. And we were I I swear I can't even describe it. There was no room to breathe. There was no room. We were constantly getting water. We were constantly like just elbow to elbow with people next to us. I seriously like I mean, I'm just I'm not exaggerating. We, how many Maryland Death Fests have we been at Soundstage? And it's a hugely attended... Um, yeah, I mean, we saw Nomads this year. And it was packed, but it wasn't, like, suffocating. It wasn't even, like, Static X was fuller than that. It was and that's not to say front it, to back. Yeah, it's not, it's not that Nomads is, like, somehow this big mainstream band that can get, like, you know, sold-out venues, but... They were the first band to play that day, and to pack it like they did was pretty impressive, but still... I think think the big thing about that was it was the first concert since Wayne's death, and they had been hyping it for so long, and it sold out almost immediately, and they sold it to max capacity. Yeah, it was pretty... I mean, wasn't that when we saw Wednesday 13, too, and... Raven Black. Raven Black. And that was fine for most of it, but I think people were outside. Yeah, when Static X was getting... When Static X was getting ready to play, it was insane. Like, it felt like more people just kind of crowded in, or people were coming late, and I will never forget this, because I have never had this kind of dread in my life. I... He said he was going to go to the restroom, and I said, okay, do you want another bottle of water? I'm going to get another drink. I went, they had, like, little mini bars set up. That's how crowded it was. They knew that they needed, like, a, a cooler. I went to the, the mini bar, the cooler. I, I got a bottle of water. I got my drink. And then I kind of inched my way back to kind of where we were standing. And I waited for a minute, and I'm like, I was at the cooler for like five minutes and now I've been here for like 10 minutes. So I kind of moseyed my way over to the bathroom and I'm like, I, I said to one of the guys, uh, one of the security guys near the bathroom, I said, my husband 
went to the bathroom like 15 minutes ago have you seen my husband he's much taller than me shaved head and he's like the big guy and I'm like I just I like I feel like all of the blood rushed out of my body when he said the big guy because when somebody says that it means something happened it <laughs> means he remembered me somewhere <laughs> yeah something happened and I'm like yes what happened and he's like he passed out twice and I'm like is he in the hospital? Where did he go? And they're like... They yeah, it's like, where'd he go? Well, you can't be going far. So they took me back in the back and took me out to where he was. Kudos to Soundstage, too. They were on top. And even some of the other patrons that were there were asking me if I was okay. So I really... Nothing bad ever to say about Soundstage. They've always been very good, uh, whether they're bartenders or whether they're security. They just... I really, really appreciate how they handled that because... Uh, yeah, I wasn't drunk. I just, I think I forgot to take my blood meds and with the packed house, and it was so hot. I think hot. he was dehydrated yeah. and, and dizzy and maybe... So they helped he me outside. Because he takes his medication before bed. And yeah. I think that was part of the thing is like, it, it was coming up on bedtime. And, and now I've changed it to the morning, so... But they, uh, they took me outside and they, you know, they asked me if I needed an ambulance or paramedics. I'm like, no, I'm okay. I just need air, and that's what it was. I and had the, a chair. And, and he didn't even tell me he was outside. He couldn't text me or anything. Yeah, I couldn't because I was still trying to gather myself. And I'm freaking out. But they took me through the back. But you, you came out and you're like, <laughs> <laughs> you're like, are you okay? Are you dying? Do I need to give mouth to mouth resuscitation? I'm like. I'm like, no, 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 no. Was I, was I doing my panic thing? Oh, yeah. You were all up my shit. <laughs> I was about to call out 911. I'm like, there are there are three hospitals within a one-block radius of this place. And you're like, don't waste your time. I just passed out. I'm dehydrated. Blah, yeah, blah. I mean, I wasn't... Once I got outside and got some air, I felt fine. Like, I, I needed time to recuperate, but I felt better than I was when I was in there. It was just stuffy. And there's no fans or anything, and... They have some, like, AC units, but it's like you have to be in a certain spot to even feel it. And we were actually to the left of it near where the hallway is to the bathroom. So uh, it's really kind of, like, even claustrophobic back in there. So, you know, I mean, it just happens. But It was, I, that was a fear in my heart. I, I cannot even describe. I remember, like, the sinking feeling when the security guy was like, oh, you mean the big guy? And I'm like... Uh-huh. And then I'm like, have you I seen I think my- I had told him because when he brought me out, I was like, yeah, you know, my wife's in there. And I don't think she's going to know where I am. <laughs> but uh, I think they said they might have looked out for you. I don't know. To see, you know. Oh, no, I, I wasn't looking for you. Have you seen my husband? Where's my husband? And they're like, you mean the big guy? Whew. Anyway, back to a fun fact about Van Halen. So everybody always kind of joked about Van Halen because they had an infamous rider that specified a bowl of M&M's that needed to be in their dressing room and separately in different areas, like, and then all the brown M&M's had to be removed. And people always kind of railed on them because of that. But what they, they did this sneakily, which kind of, honestly, it's partially genius because they um sometimes there's ones they're trying to troll people no what they did is they mixed that part of the rider in with the security and the um electricity and the safety part of their rider so 
they used the rider contracts to verify the venue's power availability, security, and structural and weight distribution details, saying they needed, you know, X amount of weight, etc. But then they threw in that brown M&M thing because they wanted to make sure people were reading their contracts so that they felt safe using their pyrotechnics and any kind of, like, uh, stage entertainment. And um, so if they found a bowl with the brown M&Ms, they felt like, or if, they, if the bowl was not in their um, dressing room, they felt like the venue hastily read through the contract and what their requirements were for, you know, electricity, structural integrity, etc., that at some times they would cancel the night's venue because they didn't feel like they read through what, you know. Yeah. So so they didn't take the time to read what they need. And say, really. hey, we need like X amount of pounds for square foot so that it is safe for us to be on stage. And if they didn't take the time to read that and say, oh, whoops, we got to put some M&Ms in there in their room they just felt they didn't care and that was kind of like a little sneaky thing that they did but it was always a joke and that's how like all these like contract riders started but they started those riders literally because they wanted to be able to put on their show have their light show have all the you know extravagant things and you know we we remember um oh who was it great white who had the unfortunate pyrotechnics mm-hmm. um, incident, and then you know it burned down the club and people died. So there, the whole thing was really about having a successful, safe show. When really now everybody kind of makes a joke about it. So I, I do kind of like this little article I just read about the contract writers because they were kind of being—it's uh, a joke but kind of still being dicks about it, too. Like, mm-hmm. give us our, our M&M bowl without brown M&Ms, and then if they don't get their M&M bowl, they know that the venue did not take their structural integrity seriously. Right. All right, well, let's get back into the music. We got some The Cross from the Metalist PR, Blessed Hellride, a band that sent me a track from their newest record. But in this first block, a lot of classic old death metal that not many people will know about. Ooh, give me the first song. We got Phantasm was in there. We got Aggritator. And then the first one is a band called Morticus. And this is called Excricated to the...
Introducing the Metal Tavern Radio Podcast, available today on your favorite podcast platform. Metal Tavern is a heavy metal, rock music, and movie podcast where they discuss movies, music, current events, and feature live interviews with bands, artists, and YouTube personalities. They spotlight independent labels and feature the underground bands the label represents. Again, that's the Metal Tavern Radio Podcast. Stream it today on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Podbean, YouTube, and at the website MetalTavernRadio.com. Many episodes up for you to listen to already, and make sure you subscribe to be notified of future releases. That's the Metal Tavern Radio Podcast. Go listen, download, and subscribe today. You can also connect on Facebook. Search Metal Tavern Radio and follow the guys on Twitter at DJ Anubis88 and DJ underscore Nico Catfreak.
everybody close out another edition of the Hordes of Chaos. I want to thank everyone for tuning in and checking us out. I bet it just it seems so depressing we're closing it out. Maybe we should let it go another two, three hours. Yeah, I'll go take a nap and then you can handle this and I don't even run know how to board. use that. If you taught me how to use that, I'd be making podcasts every day. Sure you would be. Dude, I have so much to say. You don't even know. <laughs> Oh, we know. Trust me, we know. I, I mean, you could give me a topic and podcast, boom. You don't even need music, just let her speak. I, you know, I do like to talk. Yes, she does. But we don't have time for that anymore. <laughs> uh, again, thank y'all for supporting us. Uh, we appreciate it. a really it. short fucking episode. No, I feel like no, it isn't. Actually, it's not. We started at six thirty, six fifteen, and now it's ten o'clock in the evening. So we average around four hours, which is what I want. I mean, I've seen some that were like five hours, six that hours. That was back in the day when we had four different topics. <laughs> yeah, we, we 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 need to scale we, it we back. We trimmed the fat. We trimmed the fat. <laughs> exactly. I think we should um. We could do. A, a topics um, podcast like we could do I don't know how to put it like almost like with no music yeah no music but it would be like all headlines kind of thing well why don't we just do that on YouTube we could if you want to that's a better place to do that I mean because we can't because people don't care about this but the YouTube has copyright issues with music, so like yeah, that's why like when I do the uh, sound bites, which I need to do a few more on um, to put up there. Well, I'll send you everything for these two, so you can get them written out, they're ready to go. So we're gonna have to teach you how to do this, cause mommy is. Leaving. I'm just gonna use your blueprint when I'm when you're yeah, gone. Yeah, when mommy is leaving, and mommy is out on the ocean. <laughs> the ocean, she's doing a wave. <laughs> Mommy's not sure where she'll be. I could be in Brazil. I could be back in motherfucking Oman. Bring back some tarantulas. If I'm in Brazil, I will, but... They won't let you take Sources are pointing to Oman again. Which, boo. It is so fucking hot in Oman. Like... (sighs) Sweaty balls, sweaty balls. Oh my god. I, um... I really... And I am ready now to go out, but we've got like familial obligations. Familial? <laughs> yeah. Family, familial. So that is an adjective to describe. Oh, you want Spanish on me? It's not Spanish, it's an English word. Familial. La familia? No, la familia means family in Spanish, but familial is an adjective to describe family. Okay. I'm very sorry that my English is better than your English. <laughs> Whatever you say there, slick. Look it up. I'm not looking shit up. This isn't fucking Scrabble. Familiar. Familial. Relating to or occurring in a family or its members. Would you like to play words with friends? And just bail <laughs> actually, out on me? I actually tried to, to look that game up again. Mm-hmm. You're not going to play. I'm going to whoop her ass with that ass. You know what? We got Scrabble upstairs. Let's play tonight. <laughs> she goes, she's got, she's like, 50, 100 words right <laughs> off the bat. And I'm like, 
Fuck you. He did. It was so funny. We're playing words with friends, and I did like a seven-letter word on a triple word with like a double in there, and it was like yeah, I'm, she was already up like a hundred points before the game even got started. And then it says James Corprew has left, and I'm like, <laughs> I can't. I, you can't do that. You can't just quit. I know I. Oh won. yes, I can. I'd be I, like, doop, I, gone. I won by default. Gotta go to the bathroom. Boop, gone. Do you want to play Words with Friends or do you want to pull out Scrabble? Words with Friends is better. Yeah. Scrabble's too much work. Why is it too much work? It's right in the, in the um, closet. Tiles and Words with Friends already has everything there. Cogs and bullshit. <laughs> Intellectual load. You can't, you can't com- comprehend structures and molecular el- uh, levels. <laughs> Everything comes back to Army of Darkness. Yeah. <laughs> All right, folks. Uh, one last track for you. Another one provided by Necrotic Records. It's a band called Pantheon, and this is Serpent Death Cult. Mm-hmm. 